Hello, and thank you for joining the HR Revolution podcast. On this show, we have honest and thoughtful conversations about the changing landscape of HR as it relates to the talent functions of business. With a dash of humor and a ton of enthusiasm, I will interview HR experts, people development influencers, and progressive business leaders, all of whom are deeply passionate about doing HR differently so that both talent and businesses thrive. I'm your host, Shana Lee, an executive coach, organizational change consultant, and talent development leader. As a self-proclaimed people professional nerd, I geek out about all things people. I'm a people geek because of my long-held realization that we spend more than half of our lives in the workplace, and as such, we should feel fulfilled, challenged, and happy in our careers. In turn, as a business owner myself, I fundamentally understand that when you love what you do and feel nurtured in your role, you will perform better and more consistently for your employer. On today's show, my guest is Joseph Balbi. Joe was an HR search and talent acquisition consultant for his own firm, People Niche. Joe recruits for top human resources talent, connecting them with great professional opportunities at great organizations. He is deeply passionate about working with diverse candidates and companies of all sizes across industries, including but not limited to startups, manufacturing, finance, nonprofit, and media sectors. Joe delivers open and honest consultation with leaders by helping them identify their HR talent needs, develop a people-first strategy to improve their employer brand, and target, recruit, and hire the best HR talent in the market. Today, we'll discuss how to create an optimal full-cycle talent acquisition experience for both the candidate and employer. Joe will offer his expertise around best practice and common pitfalls to avoid in this area. Additionally, we'll explore some key reasons why good talent leaves an organization and how to mitigate retention challenges. So welcome, Joe. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So before we start talking about uh, diving into the acquisition, I'd like to talk about attraction. And you mentioned before when we spoke um, that understanding people's motivations is what drives you as a professional. So tell me why you think it's important for understanding people's motivations in the HR space, specifically when it comes to talent attraction. Great question. Um, So I think at the end of the day, when you take a look at everything everyone does in the workplace, it really boils down to motivation. Um, there are a ton of ways that motivation can manifest, essentially. Uh, it can come in the form of compensation. It can come in the form of convenience. It can come in the form of culture. Um, but really at the core of what makes people do things and what makes people do things particularly well um, is really a question of motivation. Hmm. Right. And how do you think understanding people's motivations will help an employer attract the right talent? What is something that they can, an employer can do to kind of align what they're, they have to offer with the, the candidates that they want, the motivation for the candidates that they want? So from my perspective, the best way to make sure what you're looking for as an organization and what the candidate is looking for professionally is to have as open and as honest of a conversation as possible. Um, unfortunately, that's something that doesn't always happen in the talent acquisition space. Um, but if you really take the time to get to know your candidate as well as you can, right? We understand it's it's a it's a new person. The person is new to the process, so everyone's kind of meeting each other for the first time in most cases. But if you can be comfortable in that space um, of dealing with someone who's relatively new to you and having a conversation where they can open up about what it is they're looking for. And on the flip side, you either personally or as an organization can open up to them as to what you're looking for. That's going to really carry a lot of weight um, as to making sure that someone is stepping into the right opportunity or you as the organization is making the right hire. Um, And every step you miss along that way is something that's going to have to be fixed later on in the process, Um, either later on in the interview process or once they're sitting in that seat because... The thing about disclosure is you can disclose something early on or it can be disclosed as as the opportunity kind of comes to fruition. Um, So I'm always an advocate, both on the candidate side and on the client's side, um, to be as forthcoming as possible. So in terms of the motivation piece and, you know, say you're this, the executive leadership team and you're thinking about, you know, this war for talent everyone's talking about, which is a whole Mm -hmm. nother conversation piece I'm not sure there's as much of a war as people want to believe but let's just say you're really wanting this top tier talent and you're feeling like your company can't attract these folks so you start to think about well what is it that they want so you're saying before you just start manufacturing things to to appeal to people that are not true to your company values or don't really exist in the moment really do a, a complete audit about genuinely who you are as a company and then try to identify whether or not 
those perks or benefits or, or company culture models is, would be appealing to any subset of who you're looking for? Yes. So you can, you can do the fake it till you make it approach, which will work in the moment, but everything is going to come into the light eventually. Yeah. Um, so I've worked with great HR people who had stepped into roles where when they were interviewed, they were told it's a lead HR position. We're looking for someone to step in here and be really strategic um, and really do some exciting things. And then mm -hmm. once they had stepped into the role, it turned out it, it wasn't anything like that. And hmm. that kind of cuts along two lines. Either at least when I see something like that happen, where I'm hearing it from a candidate, it's because they don't have the stomach to make the actual change they had thought they wanted, or they are comparing what you're bringing to the table with the old way of doing things. And they, they really don't want to stray from what has worked in the past. So when they had said, this is an opportunity that's super exciting, and they said all of the right things, it takes almost literally 90 days to figure out that what was said in the interview process is not the reality of the role. So when you do kind of, when you're positioning a role or a company to great talent, you're not doing yourself any favors by misrepresenting it. Um, so if you are taking a look at yourself in an honest way as an organization, and you say, hey, we're having some trouble attracting talent. Instead of thinking of what we should be saying different, you should really take a look at how you should change your internal culture to make sure what you're offering lines up with the things that great people are looking for. If you just say it, you're, you're in all likelihood going to end up in a worse place than if you had just been forthcoming the whole way. Got it. So in other words, first and foremost, if you are trying to attract talent in the moment before you've kind of made any changes, then you really need to evaluate who you are and, and, and who, that, who that will appeal to in, in the now until you have a chance to dig in and audit your culture. And if it turns out that the primary um, need that you have is, let's say, I don't know, software engineers and the research that you've done is that software engineers prefer to work in places that have X, Y, Z, then that's when you have to do a bigger lift and really think about, can we, can we pivot or can we shift the culture of our company to accommodate this need so that we can attract this talent, which is more of a big picture strategic thing that you really have to put in steps to work towards versus saying that you have those things when you don't and trying to make people come in based on a false pretense. If, if you don't have those things before you can, if you don't have the time to kind of reverse and change your, your whole company culture, then really think about who you are as a company now and who, you know, who you, what is, um, what is a, like the lowest hanging fruit that you can make a shift maybe toward to attract other people, to attract the talent that you want, but without baiting and switching people. Exactly. It, it should never, everything you need to change should be changed on the action side before it's changed on just saying it's different, right? Yeah. You, you can never approach it like, hey, let's just position ourselves this way, get good people in, and then we'll, then we'll fix it once they're in. It, 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 it's doable and candidates get fooled because they tell me about it, um, but it, hmm. it doesn't do any favors to your employer brand. It doesn't do any favors to your culture. People that realize they kind of stepped in somewhere that in retrospect was a bad decision are, are yeah. unhappy, they're disengaged, even, HR leadership at the most senior levels are looking to make a move in as little as, honestly, three months, six months before they really read the writing on the wall that this mm. is not as advertised. Right, which costs you more money to, to falsify your brand by having to that, that level of a turnover. Absolutely. Okay, so we've gotten that fixed. Let's say we've addressed it from a smaller perspective. We've looked at who we are now, and we've decided that we can make some minor shifts to accommodate the needs that would appeal to the people that we want and or we've committed to making a long-term plan to really overhaul how we operate so that we can attract the top talent. Now we have that assorted and we understand who we are as a brand and we're getting the talent that we want in the door. So let's move into the whole talent acquisition cycle from the employer's perspective. Um, why don't you give just the audience who might not be fully familiar with the, 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 the full life cycle of talent acquisition. What is, from your perspective, a high-level snapshot of all the, the processes that are included in a full cycle talent acquisition process? Sure. And, and I'm actually glad we opened up the way we did because I, I would always consider 
the first step talent acquisition. And it, it's not really a first step. It's like a 1A, like a preface, mm. being, being your employer brand. Um, because whether or not you're actually hiring at the moment um, or you have a live search going on or you're interviewing, wherever in the process you may be, your employer brand is kind of something that hangs out there in the ether that people know about, people speak about. The minute you put a job up or start reaching out to passive candidates, the first thing they're doing is checking company reviews. So that's going to really affect everything else you're able to do moving forward. Um, but obviously, I would say the next step would be um, identifying what your needs are. Um, it's, you, you, it's by definition impossible to hire the right person if you don't know what the right person or profile looks like. Um, so really do some self-assessment here. Uh, figure out what it is you're looking for. Uh, I'm always a big proponent of following the 80-20 rule here. Um, most people in most roles are going to spend 80% of their time doing the same two or three things, more or less. Um, and, and really speak with everyone who's involved, everyone who's a stakeholder, what this role is going to be doing, and build outward from there. Uh, now, I get there are going to be some specific things and one-off things that are going to arise and need attention, and they need that attention to be paid effectively. Um, something that may happen once a year that needs to be tackled, but it needs to be tackled right. That's definitely something that should be in the job description in the identifying needs process. Um, but be aware that maybe three to five things are really what's going to be driving success in this role. Um, one way to kind of piece that together is look at why the role is open. This is always a conversation I have with clients. Um, whether it's a new role, whether it's a replacement um, or a vacancy, why the role is open should color what it is you're looking for in, in, in the identifying needs process. So if it's a new role, a lot of it's going to be speculation. No one has interacted with this role before, so a lot of it is going to be brainstorming about how you think it's going to play out. So. If you're being honest, you might want to look for someone who's demonstrated agility in the past, right? Because it is a new role, and as they interface with what the role is supposed to be, it's, it's going to change. It's just absolutely going to happen. If it's a replacement, let's say, uh, or a vacancy or a confidential replacement, you want to look at the person in the seat or who was in the seat and figure out what went right there. What were their strengths? What were their weaknesses? What worked well? What didn't work well? and build off of what succeeded and figure out how to fix what didn't succeed. Um, but kind of focusing back in on, um, on the identifying the needs, it, it really is impossible to hire the right person if you don't know what your needs are. It just, it, you can get lucky and it could happen, but it's, it's really, it's very unlikely to happen. So before you move on to the next step, just so I want to back up here for two of these processes, just to kind of clarify some things. So the employer brand, as we started off talking about attraction, is super important. And I don't know about you, but I find a lot of times with the glass, glass door reviews can be helpful. However, I think a lot of lower level folks, and not to diminish the levels of an organization, but folks who are not in higher level or executive roles tend not to fill out. Glassdoor review stuff. So a lot of times when you look at, I don't know if you've experienced this too, when you look at different companies, it, you know, it can have a lot of pros and cons and be very helpful, but it also can kind of showcase like um, bitter um, employee, former employees or current employees who are having trouble, you know, moving forward in their, in their professional growth. And you can kind of set sense that tone. Um, mm -hmm. And then, so I'll go to the company and I feel like a lot of companies have, I think they're working more toward understanding the value of this but have not really focused on this idea of employer branding and how important it is the way that job seekers, going again back to this work with talent and the top tier talent, as a, as a coach, the first, very first thing that my, um, that my clients who are you know, high level executive candidates looking for new roles wanna know about is, what is it gonna feel like to work at this company? What are the hours? Do they honor um, flexibility? You know, I have to pick up my kids after school or what about parental leave or, or annual time? And, very few companies give you that sense of like what it would feel like. And I don't think they realize that the best job in the world, a client, a candidate might just pass on applying because they, they're not sure what the company and they're afraid to waste all that time going through the process if the company culture isn't aligned with, with what, they, what they want. Have you experienced, so the first question on the employer branding piece, have you experienced any pushback with companies or, or kind of a, a awareness levels about how important that employer brand is? 
Yes, but the action steps they're taking aren't aren't really as significant as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, if if someone I'm working with gets a call from an internal recruiter at a company or an external recruiter, the first thing they do is they they check Google. Yeah. And kind of speaking to your point about Glassdoor, a, a lot of people, recruiters especially, will say that Glassdoor is really a dumping ground for disgruntled mm. employees. Yeah. And and there is truth there. So what I say to do is two things. Don't take it with a grain of salt. You should you should really factor in what you're reading on there. But I would say adjust the score by about 50%. So if you see a, a rating of two, the rating is probably more about three. Second thing I would do is take a look at similar companies. Plot some time out, take an hour in the evening, do your research on the company, check the mission, the vision, the values. You can find out a lot by what you read really on the website. So going back to that second step, I would find a list of their direct competitors and obviously find their industry and do some glass door research on the industry and see how their glass door review compares to industry competitors. Um, or other companies in a similar space. Because you'll find companies like, say a company in the hospitality space is likely to have a lot of hourly employees, let's say. And those hourly employees are much more likely to leave a negative review. Turnover is high, a lot of hourly employees are flowing through that company, and where they're unhappy, they do leave negative reviews, which does affect the company brand. But if you compare so, that overall rating, six or seven other companies, it'll give you a, it'll give you a, a jumping off point comparatively. What, I guess from the employer perspective, what is some kind of easy, so have you experienced while you're sourcing a t- um, where their employer brand is giving candidates pause because it's not clear what it feels like to work there? And what advice would you give to an employer or like someone in-house in the HR space to really like easily modify or make candidates aware of what, what are some key things that that should, can be done to kind of give insight on the, on the company culture before they even apply? Before they apply, it's, it's difficult to say. A lot of it goes to your marketing team. A lot of it is gonna be word of mouth. Um, so those sites like Glassdoor, where people are leaving reviews, that's gonna count for a lot. As far as before they apply, I, I couldn't speak too intelligently about it. Uh, I would say once you do reach out to a candidate, and they are in the interview process, you wanna make sure that that interview process is as professional as possible. Um, And that's something that's really gonna resonate throughout the market. Um, Some of it will fall on job descriptions. Uh, If you have a job description that's 80 bullet points long and just super verbose and very difficult to read through, that's a very basic touch point that'll turn off a candidate. So a lot of what the candidate is looking at a lot of the things a candidate is going to determine about your company is going to be things that they infer through basic touch points, like the application process. So um, there's actually a great study by Sherm that uh, I believe 60% of applicants pull out of the application process online because the process is just it's too long. It's too arduous, and they, they kind of self-select out. That's a great example of where you could be losing someone great because you're interacting with a potential candidate in a way that they are not fond of, that they find too difficult. Yes, and I have to disagree here. You, I think you're speaking intelligently, actually, about all of this. So I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. You're speaking great about these topics. Um, I think I was just thinking more along the lines of, you know, you said it, like the job description. So if you don't have, like, a website that has, you know, a lot of companies are doing this. They're creating videos. They're having their their talent, you know, do many videos and take, doing mm-hmm. virtual tours through the company. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff people are doing, which is great, but not every company has the resources or the wherewithal to do that. But simply, and I think we'll talk about this when we, when we talk about talent retention, but I think even applicant retention on the job description is, you know, we have flexibility, we have remote opportunities, you know, we have benefits, and then we'll talk about the mm-hmm. whole salary thing and those kind of things that, that give people some sense of what it feels like to work there. Agreed. I think the more you convey in any kind of candidate touch point, the better. Great. Um, because that's what candidates are looking for. They're, they're going in, sometimes they're going in blindly, sometimes they're going in with a little bit of information, sometimes they're going in with just things they've heard. But the more information you can tell them about the company, the better, that, the better that's going to be for them. 
Right, because sometimes they're making their decision on applying based on that alone because they've already they've scanned the job description. They see it's something they like, but they're not going to move forward until they have some basic information about what it would feel like to, to work there. So I think a simple place, if you don't want to overhaul your website or create videos or do anything really cool and sexy, then just write on the job description some of the key features of working at the place. Now, we talk about identifying needs. I love this. It's so, so important. And I feel like it, it, it's the experience that I've had working with companies is it feels like this huge lift, like that's going to take too much time. We just want to fill this role. We just, we know that we need uh, salespeople and that's it. We just, and it's so it's like, well, why? And what do you need? And really digging in with the hiring manager, pulling back the layers of what their, what their needs are. And I love how you pointed that out. It's like, what's your, what's your goals? And some of it might be speculation, like you said. Um, and so have you experienced folks who feel like, I guess, and well, I guess maybe I should frame this question as in, what do you do when you're getting someone says, hey, Joe, we need you to fill this HR role and they and they send you the job description and it feels very general. And like you said, inundated with bullet points and you just think it's not going to attract the talent that they want. And you push back and say, well, let's let's better understand why you're looking for this role. Like, do you get folks who say like, ah, we don't want to have to like that sounds like a great process, but we just want to fill this role. Not in the HR space. Um... So working with HR people, for the most part, they, they get it. Like, they understand the importance of a culture fit. The yeah. three things, or at least a handful of things I always want to make sure I'm digging into, is what does success look like in this role? You look back 90 days from now, 180 days from now, a year from now, what, what has to happen for you to say this was an amazing hire? Second thing is I always want to find out what the culture looks like there. Um, explain to me who would you say is the ideal employee, right? Like name three employees that are super excited to be there every day and why do you think that's the case? Um, obviously the success piece is huge, but yeah, honestly a lot of it comes down to culture um, and, and that'll sway on industry and from company to company, but I always wanna dive in deeper than the job description. The job description, as important as it is, you always wanna make sure that um, the person in the role can do what the job is, but you want to make sure that when they're stepping in there, they're, they're excited about it. And you, you absolutely have to have a deeper conversation for that to happen. Right. And like, I think your point is like, so perfect because, yeah, the job description is such a pivotal document. It's, it's going to set the performance standards for managing this person's performance. And it's going to be the rubric for the interview. And so, you know, if a candidate just goes, yep, 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 I need all those bullet points, but you haven't internally thought about why do we need this person to have this? Then what happens in the interview? What, how do you know what questions to ask? You know, like, so you can say, hey, this, and they can say yes or no, or you can dig a little deeper because anybody can shine in an interview. But if you don't truly understand who you're looking for and what you're looking for for a specific role, then you, you're very, very likely going to hire the wrong person because p people are good at saying the right thing, you know, if without that deeper dive. And I guess it, from my perspective in the consulting space, it, it's challenging when, when folks don't see the value in really taking the time to dissect these roles before they put these requisitions out and thinking about it this deeply. But then they're also feeling like we can't keep we can't keep our talent or <laughs> we were not hiring the right people. So it's tr it, it's got to be tricky finding that balance of getting folks to put in the work up front when they're doing this acquisition process for the for the result that will give them on the back end do you but i guess you're saying in the hr space people kind of get that people kind of get it I, I i can't say that it doesn't happen when you just get the job description and they want to see resumes because they need they either need the role filled asap or they want the role filled asap filled asap i'll uh, i'll give you an example of a couple of things that i've seen on intake calls where they're explaining to me what they're looking for in the role uh, or the kind of candidates they're looking for is something like requiring a SHRM certification without really having a rationale as to why. Um, that's, that's a great example of something that just seems to have come out of thin air and now it's a hard line rule and you are going to eliminate, oh, and I, I love the SHRM certification. I think a lot of great people have it, but I think a lot of great people don't as well. And to yeah, have myself. A line, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of great people are, missing, are, are gonna do a hard stop when they see that. And it's probably worth having a conversation. Why do you, what, what, what ex, uh, examples or excuses have you heard or reasons have you heard for why, why that, that matters in their perspective, having that SHRM so, certificate? What I've heard most is that it's a, a good, how do I explain this? 
they think that it is they mistake it for a proven track record. They think because it's codified and, and a certification that that is a replacement for a track record, and it's not. It's, mm. it's a great thing to have, and, and great people have it, but a track record is as or more valuable. Um, another it thing also kind of, it, uh, ahead, sorry, sorry, I just have to, no, 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 please. I just wanted to sit on this for one second. It also, just being like a people person in this space, it feels like somebody decided that Sherm is the is the standard right and i feel like and you know i'm sure sherm is great and i've gone to some things but i think they're just now kind of catching up in terms of how hr is evolutionizing they're certainly not spearheading revolution and, and evolution in, in how we look at hr and all of that but how it became the standard for like this means you know what you're doing in this space when there's so many other resources now to self-educate or to become involved mm -hmm. or to panels and literature and podcasts and articles, you know, that are really kind of tra trailblazed by these influencers outside of that, like, Sherm kind of scope. So it's just interesting. I think that's a cultural thing, too. If the company values this, how much, how, how kind of innovative are they, are they thinking? I don't know. Well, it's not limited to Sherm. It, it happens with GPAs. It happens with Ivy League colleges. There yeah. are a lot of companies that place arbitrary value on certain certifications. And it's, listen, it's not to say it's arbitrary completely, but they do place value on certain things and don't really have a rationale as to why they're placing value on it. Yeah. So if I have a conversation where someone's looking for an HR manager, let's say bilingual, they want the SHRM certification, which is fair enough. They can't really speak as to why they want it in, in most cases, besides they just like the certification. Um, same things apply to... I mentioned earlier, like an Ivy League school, there are certain companies and certain industries in particular that will only speak to people who'd went to either an Ivy League school or a top tier, highly recognizable school, which is great, and, but you're missing a lot of great people. And how do you coach uh, folks to, to kind of, not necessarily out of that frame of mind, because again, there's certainly there's value in Sherm specifically around whatever the business model might be, or there's definitely value around an Ivy League educated uh, person, but what do you, how do you have a conversation with them to think outside of those parameters and where they can still get what they're looking for? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Uh, sometimes they'll draw a hard line around it and that's, that's their prerogative and I, I fully respect that and I'll work with them to the extent that I can. Sometimes if you give an example where, so let's say they want someone who absolutely went to an Ivy League school, if you were to frame it as well, what if we had someone who had nine to 12 years experience exactly like you're looking for, who went to a great school, who's checking all of the boxes? Would you not want to see that person because they're not explicitly SHRM certified? And a lot of times when you frame it that way, they'll be open to those conversations. And also, I mean, not that, you know, it sounds like that, 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 process, that approach is, is working, but it's like, what does how, how old is this candidate and how valuable is that education compared exactly. to what they might have generated in their professional field so let's say they got their degree online but they've created these amazing people systems and they've managed hundreds of employees how does their successfully right and they've received accolades and everything else and they're they're on every board and how does that you know i just i, I guess it's that's a difficult part is speaking to people about like what difference does it make really at that point yeah where they went, where they got their education, how well they did in that, if on the job, one candidate proves much more effective than the other, despite their education. But I guess that's a, that's a whole other kind of ideological conversation we'll there's, save there's for a, another day. There, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. Oh, um, yeah. I'm feeling like I should have like a British accent. I just feel like when I listen to podcasts, like the British accent is, it, is like, I don't know, I, especially in this world, it's like I listen to McKinsey and I just like automatically take them seriously. Like they sound like a like a distinguished professor, but I'm not going to try the British accent right now. Everything, everything sounds better with a British accent. Right? <laughs> um, okay, so we, we talked about employer brand, the importance of that, and really understanding who you're looking for, why you're looking for that talent, and peeling back that layers before you even just start drafting up uh, arbitrary job descriptions. So what's next in the steps after identifying your needs and starting that, that job description with those needs in mind? So if you've gotten all of that right, um, the next step should be sourcing or interviewing candidates um, and interviewing candidates, of course. Uh, 
The sourcing would be mostly for passive candidates, um, which is where someone like me comes in. The, the benefit of working with passive candidates is the likelihood of someone who's checking all the boxes and is a great fit of applying, just being in the right place at the right time is lower than actually going out and finding the right talent. There's a give and a take here. Um, someone who's passive obviously is going to be on a tight timeline. So if you have a deadline to get this role filled, someone who's already in a role might be a better fit, but they're not on the same timeline as you. Um, really, you just want to make sure everyone that you're bringing into interview lines up with the job description and what you've already um, decided that you're looking for. If you really want to hurt your employer brand, bring someone in and make it evident in the interview process that they're there, that they're being let out of, out of process because of something you should have known looking at their resume. Um, bring someone in, have them interviewed through or three times for an HR senior director role that needs global experience, and then tell them three stages in that they don't have enough global experience or they don't have global experience. That is a, that's a great way to hurt your employer brand. Um, oh, that's such a good point. Thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing that up. That happens a lot. And third interviews in, and you're like, why are we still in this conversation if you're not convinced? Like, what about my basic profile? Shouldn't that have been the first conversation we have? First conversation, yeah. I, I can't speak really to what they're thinking when this happens, because um, clients don't really share it with me. They'll, they'll, or candidates will tell me from their end that they did three interviews, they had minimal global experience, it was all clear in their resume, and then in the fourth interview, they didn't hear back and they got an email saying, or they got a phone call saying, you just don't have enough global experience. It really, it really sours candidates on companies because it's something that should have been identified immediately. Like going back to the identifying needs section, you should have been able to make those inferences from the first conversation where you didn't need four of them. Yes, and why is it so necessary? If something that necessary, that should be, a, a, like we've talked about before too, going back to the kind of job description processes, and I'm sure you'll go into this, highlighting those primary functions of the role. And if, if you're basing a decision on whether or not someone can come on board on something, that should be key, that should be highlighted in the job description, that should be part of the first conversation. Otherwise, is this just a, a thing you realized halfway in that you think you know, you haven't thought clearly enough about this job description. And I also want to go back to the passive candidate. Is that the only candidate that you're sourcing for roles? Me personally, yes. Um, I, I will exclusively work with passive candidates. Um, so, I get the job description and I reach out to the, the most pertinent talent in the market that's, they don't have to actively be working, but they're, they're not applying. They're not applying to me. They're not reaching out to me. So how do you, like, uh, mitigate the challenge of, let's say, a aggressive candidate who is desperately seeking to get out of a horrible role or who is out of work, laid off, just came out of maternity, whatever the case is, and is really ready to kind of light a fire and go and hit the ground running versus a passive candidate. How do you assess that they're not like complacent or status quo in their job? So they might be in gainfully employed and they might be achieving value for the employer so it looks like they're hitting their mark but they don't have that same oomph that somebody who's not passive has, brings to the table or does that matter to you it, it definitely matters I, I think a lot of times if you if you speak to enough people a certain fraction of those people are going to be looking to leave but they don't have to leave they're not out of work right now but they're in a they're in a space where they'd either essentially strategize themselves out of a role. Let's say they stepped into an HR lead role, they built out the entire function, and now they're essentially just towing the line. And they want to step in somewhere that is an exciting opportunity, maybe to build it out again from scratch or change industry. That's a person who, by definition, for me anyway, is passive because they're content where they are, but they want to start exploring new opportunities. Like That is really my sweet spot on the client side and on the candidate side. Someone who well, tells good for me, you because I feel like that's a little more challenging to, to source some people who really don't have to go because, like you said, you're kind of on their timeline. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and kind of the key to it is having a big enough network and being able to identify the right talent. And if you speak to 10 people, maybe four will be very content where they are. Uh, two, you'll have a conversation with who... They're interested in leaving, but they're content where they are, and they don't really want to start interviewing. And then the remainder will be in a similar situation like I just mentioned. 
Um, maybe the commute is too far, their life circumstances changes, and they're looking for something a little bit closer, but they're not active. They're not applying to jobs. So if you put up a job description, if you, if you post a job, you are never going to encounter this person because they're not active in that sense. But they're active enough to have a conversation with me and me make the introduction to you as a client. Well, I, listen, I value that um, from, a, from an employer perspective because it kind of, it gives, it gives you that much more work to not have people coming to you, but to really seeking out for, from your perspective who you think is the best fit. So, okay, we have our employer brand. We've identified our needs. We're looking at this job description. We're starting to source candidates. We're starting to bring them in and, and schedule interviews. So what's next in this, in this full cycle of talent acquisition process from your perspective? We have the interview process. A lot can go wrong in the interview process. Um, probably, I, I may have mentioned it earlier, one of the, the biggest critiques I hear about companies is that the process takes too long. Um, if someone is an active candidate and they've been interviewing for a month or six weeks, they either become disengaged in the process because they haven't had feedback or other companies are moving faster um, and they have another offer on the table. So the interview process is something that can go awry. Um, the thing about these steps, the further along you get, the more you've done right building up to it, the easier these steps get. So at the interview stage, if the person is stepping in and is familiar with the employer brand, uh, is excited about the company, they know what the role is, you've identified and positioned the role correctly, the job description made a ton of sense and delivered a ton of, a ton of value, and you've reviewed the right candidates and brought them in, the main thing to get right here is just have a conversation. Make sure you're talking about what the role is. Make sure you're talking about what their experiences are and how they line up with what you're looking for. Um, and be professional. Don't be late. Follow up, send emails, give feedback. Um, as long as you do this, you, will, you, you, won't, unnecessarily lose, you won't unnecessarily lose candidates. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really the, the main step here. Um, just make sure everything you're doing is on message with everything you've done so far. Because if something in the interview shows up that's different from what they've experienced so far, either in the job description uh, or in the initial conversation with the recruiter, it's, it's going to create confusion, and confusion is, is always bad. Always. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you make an awesome point that, that you know, the, the way that you walked that kind of candidate journey through the, you know, from, from the employer side, the candidate journey will be positive if you do all of those steps right. And then by the time you get to the interview, it's like it's not ever going to feel. And like you said, the key thing, though, now that final right step is manage the scheduling appropriately. I think potentially with passive candidates, you have a little bit more leeway to be dragging out the process a little bit because there is yeah. a sense of urgency versus a different type of candidate. But, you know, I think in general, that does speak to something about the company challenges when it's when you're not getting that communication, as long as it's. This is going to be this level of a, this length of a process, and this is why I think you'll fare better with the candidate. But with no communication, your point is is extremely valid there that you're going to kind of start to spoil that process. But if you've hit all the marks from from beginning to end at this of this cycle, you're likely going to have a positive experience. And I think also importantly, like the the performance expectations. This is where you set that tone. This is where mm -hmm. that person that you like through this interview has a very clear understanding of what they're, what's expected of them so that when, you know, I work with candidates all the time who I help them transition into these new roles, but then they rehire me because they're feeling like, eeks, I mean, I could do my own 30, yeah. 60, 90, but I don't have any baseline. Like, and I don't, I'm not sure, is it going to make me look like I don't know what I'm doing if I ask like, hey, what's expected of me? And I don't think anybody should ever be in that position. There should be a clear understanding of like, together we're going to create a vision for what this role looks like and, and we're going to make sure that you understand what your part is in, in materializing that. Yeah, m mystery is never good in this process. <laughs> right. It, at no point is not knowing what's happening from a candidate perspective a good thing. Yeah. Um, even on the passive candidate side where what you said is true, right? That the, There is not the same sense of urgency. But if a candidate hasn't had feedback from your company in two weeks after an interview, they don't assume no news is good news. They assume no news is horrible news. And they think the reason you hadn't told them is because it, it's very, very bad. Or something, was, something really went awry in the interview. And, and candidates have told me this. And 
it's, I don't want to say offensive, but they get a little peeved when they don't get honest feedback, even if they think that feedback's going to be negative. Like, no candidate will say, like, oh, it must have went terribly, so I'm not surprised they didn't, they didn't follow up with me. Like, yeah. mystery, is, mystery is always bad. Exactly, and, and if you want to get the person to come on board, you know, you have to, for them now, they're going to have to make a decision, especially, again, a passive candidate, if we're talking about that candidate, because they don't have to leave. So they're going to get the salary they want to leave, and they're going mm -hmm. to make sure that they understand exactly what's expected of them so that they're not jumping in blind. It, when they already know what they're doing in their current role, it's not worth it to take that kind of chance. So setting the tone of, for, the, for the performance expectations and what success looks like and kind of what the first few months of the job will look like in the interview is super important. And how do you feel... I mean, to me, onboarding is the kind of the final piece of the acquisition cycle. Is that from your perspective as well? Yeah, I would agree with that. <coughs> and and onboarding... so, but that would be more on the employer side to ensure that the employer has a has a structured onboarding process in place to to make sure the talent you're recruiting, you're sourcing to them, can can seamlessly kind of join the team. Mm -hmm. And onboarding is important because it, it it is the final step, right? So onboarding should essentially be the execution of the message you delivered up to this point. So you laid out your employer brand, you conveyed everything you need to convey in the job description and the interviews. Everything is good. The onboarding should just be the follow-through of that. And that's how it should land successfully. Um, if the onboarding is completely different from what the job description was, or what was conveyed in the interview, you're, you're, you're going to go into some murky territory. Um, yeah. But yeah. And if yeah. the onboarding doesn't exist, I think, if you know, the, yeah. again, doing these processes from beginning to end in the flow that you described is really going to set you up for success. And that final piece of, okay, now that you have the talent, if you have no, no sense or way of acclimating them to the job or to the company, you're gonna lose that talent, they'll be gone. I mean, that's gonna be a revolving door. And so now, if we talk about all of these processes and you've kind of in, 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 implicated through this conversation, what can go wrong and how it can not work if you're not doing one process after the next. What, um, what would you say if we really looked at all of this is, is a key, we're, let's like switch gears a little bit. Now we have this person on board, we've gone through successfully setting this foundation for talent acquisition um, to, to create positive candidate experiences from the employer's role. Now the employer has this candidate on board and we have, let's say, a successful onboarding system. What other facets of employment do you think keep people retained in the, in the workplace? This is interesting. Um, so I, I would say most companies don't have that talent acquisition lined up so perfectly. If they did, everything would just flow, right? They would know everything they need to know about the culture. It would just work pretty seamlessly. What's going to happen here is any hiccups between what they were told about the role or what their perception of the opportunity was are going to clash with what the reality of this is. Um, and that can go a lot of ways. I think the way it most likely goes awry is on the culture space. Um, what kind of things the people at the company value, what kind of things leadership values, and really what the company is about in general. Um, that's not to say it's the only thing. Um, a lot, a lot can go wrong in the strategic space. Um, so working with HR people, a lot of what misfires is a role turns out to be more tactical than they, they anticipated, um, whereas they were sold more of a strategic opportunity. That, that is something that does come up a lot. Um, but as long as you get, as, as long as you've done the introspection at the beginning, everything should flow from there. Um, and anything that doesn't needs more introspective more introspection. So what do you think from an employer's perspective? So the, the, the kind of big ticket items for, for retaining talent, as we know in this space, are professional development is mm -hmm. huge, um, flexibility is huge, uh, annual leave, employee engagement, um, corporate responsibility, salary, benefits. What do you think, um, do you think there's one particular that a, an employer who's trying to build a culture maybe from a startup space where they haven't really gotten to that stuff yet. Now they're hockey stick row, 30, 50 employees, and they're trying to figure out who they are as a company. What, um, what facets of kind of the, the workforce experience do you think uh, an employer should prioritize? For me, the thing I most commonly hear about is engagement. 
um, where people are disengaged. Culture comes up a lot. Uh, my concern about culture is culture, in a way, has become it's almost become a euphemism for I'm just not happy in this role and people don't want to dig in any deeper because they think it's, it's speaking negatively of the employer. Um, yeah. So that's always one of my concerns. If I reach out to someone who is passive and they say, uh, you know, I'm here and it's not a great fit. And you say, well, what's missing, right? Like you're in the role, you've been there two and a half years. What is missing that we could fix? A lot of people just say it's a, not a culture fit to be a catch all without having hmm. to say, you know what? I hate who I'm reporting into. Mm, I hear leadership a lot, a lot. I hear leadership. One. I hear leadership a lot. Yeah. There, there are some innocuous reasons that people kind of grow out of a role. Um, you're an HR manager. You have you're reporting into an HR director who's been there for 17 years. They're five years from retirement. You're ready for the next step, and you know it's not going to happen until this person retires. That's mm. a healthy reason for someone to be looking for an opportunity. Yeah. An unhealthy reason, at least in the HR space, would be we've had some changes in leadership, and they're they these new people really don't value HR. Um, that's something I hear a lot. Um, people in HR are a very special breed. They really are a people that are driven by people first. Um, and when they don't get that, that's maybe 70% um, of the things that, that HR talent tell me they're looking for when they're, making a, when they're looking to make a mobile. Yeah, I think that, that that translates across sectors. Most of my clients are very, you know, from finance to tech to design to hospitality and I think it's a pretty thematic uh, concern is is leadership is a challenge I think too there are some of those anomaly reasons of like just kind of wanting to wait it out um, not being able to grow um, and flexibility is huge being able to be trusted and, and I think even as a people person myself and I think even folks who might work in compliance for a financial firm they still want to be able to engage I think that's a really good point is is making sure that everybody has a voice and that they're able to, and from an HR's perspective, you want to be able to try things out. Like I want to ask the people what they need and I want to try to give them what they need to feel fulfilled here. And for whatever reason, I think leadership tends to be afraid of that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like, if you let that go, let that fear go and give it to your, to the people you hired to manage the, the people experience of your, of your teams, yep. it, you, you know, you generate a much better result in terms of fulfillment. So, okay, we, we, I think we really understand now these core components from the employer's perspective when they're thinking about talent acquisition, and I really appreciate um, your insight when it comes to that, given this is what you do every day. Um, let's talk about, just really briefly, the, the candidate experience. Can you give us a big, just a high-level snapshot on what are some key things that the candidates need to consider as they're moving through this talent acquisition process on their end to keep, to keep a positive experience? First and foremost, I, I can't stress it enough, is the lack of feedback. Um, candidates love feedback, even if it's not the best feedback. They really, really, really appreciate open and honest communication. Um, is, so uh, so if like, I'm in a candidate, what can I expect? for? Like, how do you, I guess, from, from this lens, I want to understand I'm the candidate. What are some tips you have for me to journey through this process of talent acquisition in a positive way and what steps should I make sure that I'm doing on my end to ensure success that I position myself for success? So on the feedback side, some candidates make the mistake of following up more than they should. Um, I would say a follow-up email or a thank you email is definitely appropriate. Um, kind of outlining the conversation and thanking them for their time. Some candidates in that space of frustration will send multiple. Maybe they'll send one a week or one every you know, three or four days, which I think is a little much. Um, early in the interview process, it's always worthwhile to ask about what the timelines look like. Now, the company may or may, they may not share this with you, but the closer you two can line up with what the timeline looks like and what actual expectations are, the happier everyone's going to be in this process. Um, and the company can kind of mitigate that too by, by proactively sharing the timeline. If they say, look, we're interviewing now, we're going to make a hire in, in six weeks, now the candidate isn't as upset about not hearing feedback for two and a half weeks. They know, they, they, they know their first interview was on January 2nd. It's January 29th. Well, that might be a bad example, right? But like, let's say they finished their third interview on January 29th. They know it's two weeks until a decision is going to be made. So they're not really nervous about the lack of feedback they've gotten. Um, so on the client side, I would always make sure, even if it's not 
business per se, but to reach out and just make sure you have those touch points with candidates. And it keeps them engaged. And you, this is someone, even if you yep. don't hire, you may want to hire at some point down the line. So you really want to make sure you're keeping that experience positive. You're not burning the bridges. And what about um, from the from the perspective of you know we talked about with the job description from the employer side like why do you need this candidate what skills do you tr are you trying to to pull out of somebody what you know what are the needs of your organization and what why what role how is this role integral to the to the big picture vision so h from your perspective in the recruiter side as I do it on more of the coaching side but. Mm -hmm. What should a candidate be thinking about for themselves in that way? When they're looking at the job description, you know, what kind of whys should they be asking? So you're saying, oh, yes, I know what that is. But like, how do you determine that? Yeah, this is somewhere I would shine versus I think I know what this is, you know, and really making sure that this role is actually right for you. Because, you know, it's good to be challenged, but it's also you don't want to have such a learning curve that you're, you're kind of lost because you talked your way into this, you know. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. And that's actually kind of a side point is uh, uh, one thing companies can learn is, is interviewers confuse people who are good at interviewing with people who are going to be good in the role. Some people could be great in the role that are not that great at interviewing and some people are great at interviewing who wouldn't be a good fit. hundred percent. Yep. Just side point. Um, so kind of looking at the job description, it's, it's really not that easy to figure out um, how great of a fit you're going to be. So on my side, I'm, I'm always a proponent of conversation. I think having a dialogue is how any two people get to know each other. Um, you can do your research on the company. You can do your research on the reviews. You can read the job description in depth. And you, are, as a candidate, are really captive to what they chose to convey. A, a poorly worded job description. So think of it like this. Looking at that job description, you don't know if it's inclusive. You don't know if it was well thought out. You don't know if it was, if it's really 80% of what they're looking for and they're still debating about the remaining 20%. As a candidate, you don't have a ton of information to go off of, but for the reputation of the company and certain inferences you can make about that. Um, if I were to pull three job descriptions at random, you, you written averagely. Right, like the way an average job description will be written at a, at a perfectly average company, you you really wouldn't be able to pull a ton of information about where you think you'd be the best fit, without really going on LinkedIn, looking at who works there, looking at the backgrounds of who works there, looking at the company's mission. You, you kind of have to do your research. I agree. And okay, so I'm going to say, and I don't know if you feel this when you've spoken to candidates, if it's ex like exclusive to perhaps it doesn't happen in the HR space, but other, other sectors. But one of the major challenges I see with folks who are looking for jobs, even at the highest level, and I say to them, okay, they send me the job description because I'm helping them kind of maybe prep for an interview or prep for their shifting their resume. And it's like, okay, so tell me what, you know, what is this role? Like just kind of describe it to me in your own words. What, what, what is it that this person will be doing? Um, well, it, it, they don't know what to say. Have you read the job description? Mm. Well, yeah, mm. but they haven't really. I mean, it's so, so important, even whether, regardless of how the job descriptions are at, good, for, for good or bad, if you're going to submit your candidacy for this role, you should be able to really digest what they're looking for. And not only because it's going to help you succeed in the interview process, but this is how you evaluate whether or not you're right for this role. So again, looking at those bullet points, it's like, do I know what this is? Have I done this? What's an example of me doing this bullet point and doing it really well? And if by, I'd say, 80% of the job description, you can't say that for, might not be the job for you. Like, have you, yeah. do you ever have that experience with folks? I do. I think candidates tend to make a lot of assumptions, um, especially moving industry from industry. They think if they were an HR director at a 400-person manufacturing plant and they're interviewing for an opportunity at a 450 person manufacturing plant they don't need to get too in depth about the job description they just make some assumptions there which is probably not the right move mm. um in all likelihood they could probably there's a good chance there's a lot of transferable skill there and anything that might be different isn't that big of a deal and they could probably talk their way through it but for you as a candidate to make sure it's the right move for you exactly if it's only a page, it's only a page you probably should read it Right, exactly. And that just even to your point, like, so you're an HR person at a 450 uh, uh, person uh, manufacturing company, and then you see a little startup with 10 people that's looking for someone who can do all the functions of the role that you did. 
But like, okay, yes, you could do that because you've done it. But think about how different those systems are non-existent, right? Like the things that you're used to punching into a computer or having six staff members to support you, they're not going to be there. So like really digging into that perspective, it's not to say that because your experience is not so aligned that you're just going to be, you're not going to be the right fit, but it's really like, am I prepared for what the differences are here? Am I prepared to jump into this stuff and really asking yourself, have I done this? Um, you know, is this like what I do? Is this what I want to do? And I think you're right. You, there's only so much you can infer from it, from a piece of paper, from one job description, and even from research. But I think there's enough yeah. there for candidates to really assess whether or not it's a good fit for them. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely an important takeaway. Um, and again, really to harp on, it's only one page. Yeah, right. Just read the one page. Yeah. Now, speaking of takeaways, do you have any kind of key um, key data points that you want to talk about based on what we talked about today and what's really going to drive home some of the points that you were making? Um, I mean, I know I mentioned the one before uh, about I think sixty percent of. And this ties into your employer brand and, and, and it ties into having really pleasurable candidate experiences throughout the whole process is uh, around 60% of applicants will, will cancel an application halfway through or part of the way through. And that's really indicative of how candidates view the interview process or the talent acquisition process in general. Um, if it's something that's too difficult for them, they're going to... They're going to make, and sometimes it'll be a fair assumption, sometimes it won't be a fair assumption, but they're going to assume that a difficult online application process isn't difficult, is um, indicative of, of a difficult culture to work with. And, and sometimes that's right, and sometimes that's wrong, but it's an assumption that, that really does happen out there. Um, yeah, that's, it, it, if I had to sum it up, that's, that really is a, that's a key takeaway. And it's, it's so it basic, is... it's literally an application. It's so telling, though, and what's crazy is, again, it's like, I, that's why I'm glad to have these conversations, because I just, this is why I geek out about this stuff, is because, it, it, you know, as much as I get excited when I see companies, big and small, really thinking about this stuff, and all the podcasts that I listen to, these conversations are happening. People do acknowledge these challenges, and they're, and they're addressing them. There are so many more companies that are not, and I mean, that to me is so huge that it's such common sense, you would think. I interviewed with a company and prior to the interview, I mean, I think I took, and this was for like an HR function role as a talent development or head of people or something like that. And the, the, there was like three, I had to take four hours worth of a standardized test before I even spoke to anybody. I mean, literally applied and it was a four hour and this was not a test related to, there was one portion of it that was around kind of like behavioral situations in the workplace, but 90% of it, it was literally an SAT test. And I'm like, huh. A, what does this have to do with anything? And B, I haven't even had a conversation. I mean, I did it because I'd like a challenge, but it was such mm -hmm. a, it was such a, it really put a taste in my mouth about like, are these people aware? They're hiring for people person. Good thing, because this process is broken. And when I talked about it with um, a higher level person that I was speaking to, because I had a whole day of interviews, he was like really upset. Like, I can't believe they are doing that. Like, this is why people don't want to come here. This is why people are, we're not able to find the candidates and not even from the HR. He was talking about the, the primary role that they're filling for that industry. And it's like, well, if everybody knows this, what is this insistence on keeping this up for, for who? Like somebody at some point in leadership has to say, this process isn't working. We're losing candidates. Let's Let's make it different, you know? So I, well, I love that data point because it's like, yeah, this is actually happening. That's a great point. And, and that kind of, in a way, ties to the insistence <laughs> on, a, on, um, on the sheriff certification. Like, that process is most likely there because someone heard it's a good process. And it just became internalized culturally, and they just do it. Yep. They don't know why they do it. They just, they just do it. Yep. And it, people explain to them that it doesn't work, and it does turn off candidates. I've heard of Excel tests for HR manager, HR director roles. Like that is a little off-putting. It's a little yeah, off-putting. Yeah, and, and I mean, Excel, I guess, is an important function, but it's nothing you can't learn in YouTube and in a couple of days. But I mean, listen, I guess if they're like wanting pivot tables done tomorrow, I suppose that that's, but then, you know, that's really, that's a, that's a heavy administrative HR role that I don't think most, a lot of people in the people space are wanting to move away from. But yes, I love that data piece. It is super, super important and so simple. And it's sad that, you know, 
with as much anecdotal conversations that we have about these things, even the studies that are showing like, here's the amount of candidates that you're losing because of these daunting processes, it hasn't yet sunk in to, to a lot of folks. But speaking of kind of silly stuff, I'd love to close, close this conversation with um, like a wacky interview question. I was looking these up because I know a lot of companies, especially the big sexy tech companies everybody wants to work for, they're yep, like yep. The, the kings and queens of, of mm -hmm. asking these off the wall questions and really basing decisions about candidates on answers to these types of questions, which I think is is on one end, like great that, we, that we're thinking out of the box, but how out of the box we get. So I'm gonna give you one of these questions and we'll see what you think. Um, you've been given an elephant. You can't give it okay. away or sell it. What would you do with the elephant? That is a great question. Is um, it though? <laughs> that is a great question. So when I view these questions, I always think of them as you're looking how I think, right? So I might answer you and say, well, how big is the elephant? And it depends mm. whether or not I I'm allowed to ask follow-up questions. Me personally, my first question would be, "How big of an elephant?" If it's a small porcelain elephant, I would I would put it on my mantle. That's how I would get rid of it, right? Oh, oh, that's yeah, very creative. And see, you're yeah. you're you're much more, um, uh, I think, accepting of these of these questions as you know, because I think strategically, of course, I'm a problem solver, so I'd probably run through this as well but i think my first instinct would be like are you kidding me right now who gives a crap yeah. why am i why are you asking me about an elephant um and it would just throw me off and i think so many candidates who don't think creatively and think on their feet are if that's not what the role requires and maybe it is and maybe that's why they're asking it but it just feels like you're totally throwing me off what do i say here and they're saying that we're we're asking this question to gain insight into how the candidate thinks and prioritizes and problem solves mm -hmm. but I feel like there's a better, more applicable way to do that than throwing them off completely with these silly questions. I mean, I, I love your answer. I think it was great how you how you put it out there. And you know, again, I, I think it's important that we that we think outside of the box in terms of how we ask questions and and prepare candidates for interviews. But you know, we also have to remember we're dealing with human beings who are stressed and anxious and and are going to be kind of really thrown off by some something way off the wall like that. Yeah. But I think and a it lot would be of people, fun. a lot of people in the interview process, once they're thrown off by something, it they're affects done. them moving forward. Yeah, like they can't quite find their footing. And these are good people who just get thrown off and they're out of their yeah. rhythm. Like someone and who's I, been calling at HR for, for 15 years, 10, 15 years, they, they want to talk about that. They're passionate about people and HR. Right. And you right. hit them with an elephant question, like now they're off kilter and they, <laughs> they feel like they messed it up and it's going poorly now. Like. Right. And, and sure, it's a skill to, to be able to kind of be thrown off and stay in your game. But I think that it, it's, it's very situational. And I think interviews are unique in the, in, the, in the brain space they put you in more than any other workday function. Even if you're used to presenting for your job, you're used to presenting for your job. If you're having meetings, if you're whatever it is in your job that might be high stress or high pressure or you have to think on your feet, you're acclimated to doing that. That's part of your role. But like the yeah. interview is just, it's its own beast because you, you are lacking so much more information than you would be in any other kind of setting where you have to be put on the spot. So it's, it's an unnatural setting. And it really the, is. The interviewers have to understand that it's, it's unnatural and it's, very, it's a very vulnerable situation. You yes. don't know what the right answer is. You know nothing, you know so little. And yes. what you do, you don't know. You have, ten, again, going back to the bullet points in the job description, you have 10 bullet points to read from, which is a little low, but we'll use 10 for an even number. You don't know what the most important one is. All you have is the inferences and the assumptions you can make based on your experience. It's, it's a vulnerable situation. Like, make it as pleasant as possible. I love that, and I think that's just a perfect, perfect way to close out the conversation is thinking about, you know, this, this whole conversation that we went over, we understand, especially for people professionals, that you very well might be aware of, the talent acquisition and process and the full cycle mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But are you in tune to ensuring that the candidate has a positive experience? Because that will literally impact every single, every single aspect of, of the, the full cycle that you talked about, uh, specifically the brand. Because if I, if I don't get the job, but it was an awful experience, I'm going right to Glassdoor or I'm not going to apply yeah. again. Or, you know, and so don't you want to create a, an experience where I didn't get the job, but I had such a great conversation with the recruiter and I really was informed every step of the way. I have a candidate that that could be filling another role there that I think would be great and that kind of stuff. So 
super important to respect the candidate journey um, from the employer perspective so that you get the talent that you're really looking for. And so, Joe, thank you so much for, for connecting with me. But why don't you remind the listeners um, who you're targeting in terms of the clients for your business and how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, so I recruit for all levels of HR professionals uh, for my own farm, People Niche. Uh, you can obviously connect with me on LinkedIn or visit me at peopleniche.com. And uh, as we've definitely hashed through on this conversation, uh, I specialize in recruiting all levels of HR talent uh, and working mostly with mid-sized companies uh, who are working on a particularly challenging HR search. Um, but again, as I hope came forth in this conversation, I really lead with relationship first. Um, so I'm obviously open to a conversation with really anyone in the HR space. It's, it's been a passion of mine and probably is going to be for the foreseeable future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. So definitely reach out to Joe if you're looking for HR talent and or you're an HR talented professional looking to passively looking for a new role. Um, so thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Please subscribe to the HR Revolution podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or uh, many other platforms that are listed on my website, shanaleecoaching.com under the HR Revolution tab. If you have any wacky interview questions you want to suggest or HR topics that you would like us to explore, submit those suggestions through the comment section as well. And um, thank you very much for joining us today.